Lord is in this place, I can feel His mighty power and His grace. I can hear the brush of angel wings as she glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power and His grace. I can hear the brush of I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. We're going to sing that one again, but I want you to do something. When we, first, when we start singing again, I want you to just whatever comes to your mind that's weighing you down, Whatever weight you came in with, whatever situation you got going on, that elder from Kentucky, when we start singing this again, let it be real that His presence is in here, and whatever you give to Him while we're worshiping Him in His presence, it's His. Yes. So whatever you need to roll off of you and onto Jesus, now's the time to do Amen. it, alright? Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power and His grace. I can hear the brush of angel wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Now imagine somebody you want the presence of God to go to, right? We're going to ask God to let His presence go there. We're asking Him to go where Abby and Logan are. We're asking Him to go where Robbie and Chloe are. Where, where Teresa and the girls, where Mark and Helen and their families are. Wherever you need Him to go to visit somebody. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power and His grace. I can hear the brush of angel wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Lord, visit our loved ones, Father. Lord, God, visit them tonight, Lord Jesus. Lord, visit my dad and his wife, God. Visit my siblings. Visit my children and grandchildren, my great-grandchild tonight, Lord. Visit Robbie and Chloe and Abby and Logan. Lord, visit them tonight, God. Lord, visit that elder in Kentucky. 
Got one more on my heart. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the rain. something very special tonight. Um, I'd like you to open your Bibles first 
Bud, he's ready to go, son. Let me see here. I need you to put a bookmark uh, at Luke 22. Luke 22 uh, and verse number in the 40s, almost to the end of that chapter. So put a bookmark there. Spud Nichols getting faster and faster in that book, boy. I like the sound of the pages turning. So once you get uh, Luke 22, toward the end of that chapter, bookmark that, and then turn to the left to Matthew chapter 26, please. Mark. Wait for my violin, by the way. Mm -hmm. Did you get that new string yet? <laughs> Tell me, and I will order it. I will get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so uh, in the in the Sunday school class, these kids are going to be expert on what Easter is and what it isn't. You may find it interesting that. When the actual story happened, when these events happened, there was no such word as Easter with the church. Mm -hmm. It was added later when they brought in a pagan holiday and, and brought it all together. So like when Herod had Peter and was going to bring him out at Easter, like it says, that ain't what Herod had in mind at all. But later on, when they brought that pagan holiday in, and brought it in together, and then they added the word in the scripture when in the writing of the scripture. Um, but the Easter story, especially with our church family, I was talking to Kitty about it, and I said, everybody in our church family can tell the story of the cross and the resurrection just as good as I could. We can tag, take turns, tag team. I don't want to talk about that tonight. Well, I want to talk tonight about something that for me, I've neglected in this story. Because every time around Easter, mine always goes to the, the cross and always goes right to the resurrection. Yeah. But in my reading over the last two or three weeks, I've realized there was an awful cost yeah. before the cross. So what I want to talk about tonight is the cost before the cross. Matthew 26, and we're going to start with verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it. There's a cute bumper sticker that says that's exactly what our life's supposed to be. Blessed, broken, and given. He took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many 
for the remission of sins. Mm -hmm. Jesus completely changes the entire meaning of a 1,500-year-old Passover observance and not one disciple says a word. He changed all of it. Nobody said, hey, even Peter didn't interrupt him this time and say, hey, how is this bread your body? How is this wine your blood? And by the way, what is the New Testament? This is the first time in the Bible the word New Testament is used. These guys didn't know what he was talking about, any of it. And oh yeah, and Jesus, while I'm at it, did you say remission of sins? Uh -huh. Did you hear all that that he laid out right there? And nobody says anything. Not a word. To top it off, when Luke tells this story, he says Jesus also told them to do this in remembrance of me. Nobody said, you? What about the lamb? Nobody had a clue. Nobody knew what the blazes Jesus was talking about. And nobody asked a single question. For 1,500 years by the time of Jesus, the Jews had been observing the Passover. And for 1,500 years, the bread stood for unleavened bread because you didn't have time to leaven it that night. They had to get out of Dodge. Well, Exodus, they had to get out of Egypt, Dodge. Yeah, right. And the wine stood for the blood of the lamb, the animal, that they ate and then took the blood and put it over the doorpost. And here Jesus is. He says, here, this bread now stands for my body. Ain't got nothing to do with unleavened bread back there and how fast they had to get out of Egypt. And here, this wine stands for my blood. Ain't got nothing to do with that lamb back there anymore or a doorpost. Now, the blood, my blood, it's going to be for remission of sins and there is a New Testament. There's going to be. Nobody asked a word. Ever been around people having a conversation with them? And they're nodding. And sometimes even smiling. And you can tell that the hamster and the wheel ain't even in the same room. You can tell. When you get done, I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're like, you don't understand a thing I'm saying. You didn't hear a word I said to you. Can you imagine Jesus' frustration right here? Wait. My blood. Nobody says, what do you mean your blood? What's wrong with your blood? Where'd your blood go? Watch this. 26 and 30. When they sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. This is where it starts to get brutal. It's already frustrating, but it's starting to get brutal for Jesus. See, this hymn they, they sang, a lot of people have a lot of questions about that part. I got hit with so many questions when I posted it, I didn't even answer any of them. That's too much. I just put it all out there and then they didn't argue over it. But the hymn they sang, it was the last one of four. Jewish history tells us that at the Passover observance, for 1,500 years now, three cups of wine were consumed. The first one is consumed after someone says a blessing. Then, unleavened bread 
bitter herbs and the lamb are brought in. Thanksgiving is offered to God for the many blessings of life and the food is handed out. A second cup is drank, after which an explanation of the feast is given and then a reading of Exodus 12, 26 and 27. They still do it today. The Jews still do this today. Then after they read Exodus 12, 26 and 27, talking about an animal lamb, Psalm 113 and 114 are saying, followed by another blessing, and then the bitter herbs and the lamb is eaten. A third cup is drank. Now look, sounds like a party, don't it? This is unfermented wine, in case you're wondering. Study it out for yourself. If by now they wouldn't even know what they were doing, they're three cups into the wind. A third cup is drank, followed by the singing of Psalm 115 and 118. These hymns had been sung at every Passover for 1,500 years by Jesus' day, and at least one of the verses had been sung for 1,500 years with absolutely no understanding. And it's verse 22 of the 118th Psalm. Here's what it says. The stone that the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Sound familiar? In 1,500 years, Jesus was the first one to ever understand this verse because it was about Him. So imagine if you can, Jesus tells them, first of all, His body's going to be broken and nobody gets it. He tells them His blood's going to be shed and nobody gets it. He tells them there's a New Testament about to be created. Nobody gets it. He tells them that for the first time in the history of mankind, remission of sins is going to be available because of His blood and nobody gets it. And to top all that off, now here He is singing His own death song and nobody gets it. You want to talk about being alone when you're in a crowd? He was the only one that knew he was the stone that was going to be rejected. And his rejection meant his murder. Here he is with his disciples. And they're all singing about it. I don't know what temple they sang the verse at, but they sing the words, the stone that the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. And they're all singing, and these guys are singing a song by memory like kids do when they were taught how to sing when they were little kids. And they have no understanding of what they're singing. They just know this is what we sing when we observe the Passover. And Jesus is standing there, and he's trying to tell them every way he knows how, it's me! And he knows he's going to die tonight. And nobody gets it. Think about this. While he's singing this verse about the stone the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Here, let me give you this explanation. I don't want to assume everybody knows what that means. That stone the builders refused is talking about Jesus and how the church in the day and age that he came refused him. 
didn't want nothing to do with them. He shook stuff up. If they accepted him, some people at the top were going to have to go down a notch or two, and they took a long time to get where they were at. They weren't having that, see? They weren't losing their position and their money and their titles and their fame. Wasn't going to do it. So they rejected him all this time, but the final rejection is his murder. And when it says a stone the builders refused, has become the headstone of the corner. It means that though the church in his day, his people refused him, Jesus became the headstone of the corner, the foundation of the New Testament church. And while he's singing this with his disciples and none of them know what it means, guess who else is singing it? The high priest. And they're all singing the same song. The people that have already given Judas money to take their soldiers and get Jesus and they're singing a prophecy that they're fulfilling and they don't even know it. They're fulfilling this prophecy while they're singing it. Look, man, I'm scared to death to just believe anything because that's what everybody believes. Because if it could happen to them, could it be there are some things in our faith that we just repeat because we've always heard it and we just believe it because they always said to believe it and it ain't got nothing to do with it? Could we be fulfilling prophecies and don't even know it? The wrong kind of... In 1,500 years, Jesus was the only one to understand that. He told them everything. He didn't understand any of it. He was the only one that knew He was the stone that was going to be rejected. And His rejection meant His murder. He's seeing this. Knowing. He knows right where Judas is. Because Jesus is God and man. The God part of Jesus Knows right where Judas is. He knows exactly how many pieces of silver he's got in his pocket. He knows how many soldiers are coming after him. And he knows which one's going to hit him first. And his disciples were completely clueless. Here he is with his closest friends in the whole world. And they're all singing it. Only his friends are singing it happy because it's a celebration about a lamb a long, long time ago. But he's singing it knowing it's about him. And he's the lamb. And this is his last night alive. Hmm. What a Savior! I don't know about you, man, but if i got to give my life for everybody, I ain't singing about it first. He tried to get them to help him. The man Jesus. That's why he told him about the bread. He didn't have to tell him nothing. It was going to happen without him, and it did. But he needed some encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement from time to time. You want to know one of the best gifts you can be to the kingdom of God? It's just be somebody that gives people a positive word. Everybody needs encouragement sometimes. Jesus did. And He tried to bring them in and they didn't get any of it. 
He knew his rejection meant his murder, but he went anyway. Because he also knew he had to be rejected in order for you and me to be accepted. He knew he had to die in order for us to live. And he was the only one that knew it. The first time he needed anybody. He had never needed anybody before. You know what he needed right then, man? He didn't need a disciple. He needed a friend. And you don't see that word in this whole story until Judas shows up. We're going to be the kind of church where people are friends, man. That's why we don't toss around Brother Wells and Brother Russell. Uncle, aunt, we're friends and we're family. Yes. And everybody needs a friend sometimes. Mm -hmm. Look, don't you ever go through something serious by yourself. Right. Yeah. Don't pray and say, well, Lord, if I need some help, just tell them. No, you tell us. And you'll have somebody right up next to you that'll walk with you all the way and do that thing and carry you if need be. And Jesus needed a friend and didn't have a single one. Then said Jesus unto them, All you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. You see any questions anywhere? He just told him he was going to rise again. What do you mean again? What are you talking? They don't ask him that. You know why? Because their flesh was in charge that night. Their pride had been ignited. And the spirit man was nowhere to be seen. Because they skipped right over that. They didn't even hear the part about, I'm going to rise again and go before you in Galilee. Because all they heard was, all y'all are going to be punked out tonight. Because Peter in verse 33 answers and don't say, what you mean rise again, Jesus? He says, though all men be offended because of you, I'll never be offended, Jesus. I got you back. Jesus said, I say unto you, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said, though I should die with you, yet will I not deny thee. And you know, much is said about him saying that. But look at the end of this verse. Likewise also, yep. said all of them. Yep. Here Jesus says he needs a friend. And he already knows every single one of them going to bail on him. The first time he needed them. You're stopping. Man, this is why I don't like being told I got to try to be like Jesus. Imagine for three and a half years you toted these knuckleheads around. You gave them all power and they went out everywhere casting out devils, healing people, doing miracles, coming back bragging. You took care of them, never went hungry, never did without. They saw things nobody else has ever seen in the history of mankind. And all you've done the entire three and a half years, this is going to hit home for somebody, all you've done in your relationship with this person is give and give and give and give. And now the one time that you need them to give to you, 
They ain't hearing it. Well, I'm glad Jesus don't do like I do and just say, okay, you're out. That was us, most of us. All we did three and a half years, had a friendship or whatever, and gave, borrowed money, took them something to eat, helped them fix a flat tire, give, 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 give. And the first time you need something, they ain't hearing it. I'm glad Jesus didn't react that way. You ever had a friend bail on you? You ever sacrificed for them before they bailed? Already not already knowing they would? How often do we How often do we sacrifice for somebody else when we know going in we're gonna get burnt? I'm not talking about being mindless and letting people just walk all over you. That's not what I'm talking about. But I guarantee you, there are times where God would offer us up for sacrifice. we got to understand, it ain't always about us. That God sometimes feels like He can trust me to have me help somebody that me and God both know is going to burn me. But it ain't about them burning me. It's about whatever it is God is doing in their life. And I don't know what He's doing in their life. This might be the last chance they get. I don't know. This might be the last straw where they can't even bear to look at themselves in the mirror from now on and they finally turn to God. But if my first answer is always, oh no, burn me once, your fault, burn me twice. Same on me. That ain't Christian. Jesus said, if they smite you on one cheek. So there's times we got to expect to be able to be burnt at least twice by the same person. We cannot hold a policy, burn me one and you're done. Burn me one and you're done, son. That ain't Jesus. It only gets worse from here. Then comes Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane. Most of you probably know this word literally means the olive press. God didn't have them go there accidentally just to be cute. An olive press, the good stuff the olive has is on the inside. And in order to get the good stuff out, you got to crush it. The good stuff Jesus had now that was being required was on the inside. But the crushing that had to take place wasn't at the cross. That's where the murder took place. The crushing took place in the garden. Thank God for a second garden. Woo! Thank God there's two gardens and not just one. I thank God it ain't just a garden of Eden and there ain't no garden of Gethsemane. I thank God when Adam and Eve messed up in the garden of Eden, God said, hey, you blew it pretty bad in that garden, but I got another garden up the road somewhere and I'm going to fix all this mess. Woo, one of these days preaching, going to preach a tale of two gardens. That's right. 
There you go. I don't know who it is, but he's going to have fun doing it. Because mm. <laughs> we're being slow and tender tonight, remember? Amen. <laughs> then comes Jesus with them. He's doing all this purposefully. Nobody's dragging him there. Nobody's pulling him there. And his best friends don't have a clue what's going on in his life. Oh, I gotta help somebody here. There's gonna be times where your best friends, where the people that are closest to you in your whole life, you're going through it, and they ain't got a clue. We know now with hindsight, every one of these disciples, except for Judas, and Judas loved him too. Right. Yeah. Even Judas loved him. Because later he tries to give the money back. Didn't want it himself no more. But these people that didn't have a clue what was going on in his life, they loved him. And later they would give their life for his cause. Every single one of them. So there's going to be times where the people that are closest to you in your life, you can be going through something and you expect them to be able to see something's going on. You expect them to be able to hear it in your tone of voice. You're expecting them to be able to see it in your body language because they know you so well. Sometimes God will blind their eyes to what you're going through because it ain't their garden. These guys didn't fail him. It was prophesied exactly what they would do. They did what God had been predicting for thousands of years they were going to do. There's going to be a time in your walk with God where God is going to want to get the good stuff inside of you out. And there's going to be somebody in your life someday that's going to need the good stuff that you keep way down in here. Or you don't even know you have. But you'll find out when you're in the olive press because it will squeeze you. When you're in a, I know, stop it. When you're in a situation that you do not want to be in, but you know you're supposed to be in it. And if you're under pressure all the time, and you know there's a reason, the good stuff inside of you needs to come out, but that ain't what you're wanting to let out right now. Right, yeah, exactly. And you got a list of reasons everybody would agree to why you want to just bless them out right now and be done with it. But we serve a God that went before us and He did it for us so He will require each one of us sooner or later to do it for somebody else. Amen. You want to serve Jesus? Then you let Jesus when He wants to put you in the middle of somebody else's mess and it ain't going to do nothing but cost you. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you your peace. It's going to cost you your convenience. And when you cry to God, God's going to be like, and? I thought you said you wanted to be like me. Uh, 
Yeah. Told you it only gets worse from here. Then come Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, the olive press. He's getting ready to go to the hardest time. Understand this is a man that fasted 40 days one time. And he's getting ready to go into the hardest time of his entire life. And he knows this is going to be, not only is it the hardest time of his life, but it's going to result in the end of his life. And he takes the closest people in the whole world with him. But, he says to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he left nine out of twelve over there. And he took the three he just knew he could count on. Man, if there's anybody that'll pray for me in my struggle, it's Peter, James, and John. If it's anybody that'll stay awake and watch for me while I'm being crushed, it's Peter, James, and John. Well, man, I took them up on top of a mountain and they saw Moses and Elijah in the Spirit. They saw the whole thing. I took them into a house and raised a dead girl back to life. I've let these people see some pretty awesome stuff and opened myself up to them when I didn't anybody else. I let them get closer to me than anybody. They know me better. So I know after I did all that for them <clears throat> and since I've never asked one thing of them until now I'm going to take them with me because I know if anybody can help me right now if anybody will pray right now if anybody will watch for me right now, it's these three. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. That word heavy, adamone, in distress. He began to be in distress. Then said he unto them, My soul, and you see, look, ain't like Jesus would lie, but do you see how he don't care what they think of his position. He's honest with them. Yes. Never. Please hear me. Please, please hear this. No matter what you become in the kingdom of God, no matter what you turn into in the bridge, don't ever, ever get to a place where because of how long you've been here or what your function is in the body, where when you are in distress, that you won't share with somebody. That you won't tell them, man, I need some help. Right. I need some backup. Jesus wasn't worried about what they thought of his position. And he just tells them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. That word paralupos, it means grieved to the core. To the core. Now don't turn. Just write this down in your notes if you're doing it, but don't turn here. Mark 14 and 33. Mark adds that Jesus, while still with Peter, James, and John, before he went a little further to pray even the first time, says he was sore amazed. That word don't mean what it means for us today. That word amazed, ekthambeo. Guess what it means? Afraid and terrified. See, people got this idea that since he was Jesus, he didn't want to go through it, but he just guided his way through all that. And he knew that's what he was there for, so he wasn't no thing. 
I mean, he prayed three times, good old quick prayer like a prayer over supper. Then he was done, and when God said, no, you got to do it, he just went and did it. No! We ain't talking about the God part of Jesus here, Lori. This is all man right now. This Jesus right here tells Peter, James, and John, I am terrified. Can you imagine? These guys that he told that to, notice he didn't tell all 12. There's some things you can't tell everybody. But you got to have some people in your life you can tell everything. He tells him he's terrified. These are the guys that when they got off the boat at Gethsemane, Jesus stepped off the boat, and they see a wild man stark naked, screaming and hollering, and he's running full speed, and you can see and feel the devils in this guy, and they're like, oh boy, and they're back behind Jesus, like, I don't know what we're going to do here. Peter didn't get in front of Jesus that day, did he? Uh-uh. And that wild man come running down to Jesus' feet. Legion of devils gone. Just because Jesus told them to. That Jesus, the same one now, is telling these men, I'm terrified. You know, the Jesus in the boat with him that time, and the storm was so bad, and they thought they was going to die, and he's sleeping on a pillow. Where did he get up? Never mind. He's sleeping on a pillow, and he's in a boat, and they wake him up, and he says, pucks him out basically. He says, What's wrong with you? What you scared for, sissy? Yeah. And then he gets to the edge of the boat and says, Stop. Right. He'll do it like we think. Peace be. No, man. Knock it off. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's that Jesus that these men are looking in the eyes. See, they never did understand. They saw the God in Jesus and recognized him. But they had trouble with the man in Jesus because they couldn't put the two together as one being. And we still struggle with that today. Can you imagine Jesus being terrified? What was he terrified of? Told him I'm terrified to death. He's a southerner. Tear you here and watch with me. See in verse 38. Tear ye here and watch with me. That word watch literally means stay awake. Be vigilant. So not just watch with me, watch for me. And he went a little further falls on his face and prays, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. See, there's another part that the human brain has a hard time putting Jesus together. But here we have, this is all man part of Jesus. God ain't ever been terrified of nothing. He made the stuff that terrifies us. Right, yeah. So this ain't the God part of Jesus' mission. This is all man. He went a little further, fell on his prayer, face prayed, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Now keep your bookmark there and go to the one you set in Luke 22. 
And believe it or not, we're almost done. Luke 22 and 43 tells us that while praying the first time alone, alone, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven. Why does it have to say that? Because God wants us to know that He heard Jesus the first time. Mm -hmm. This is His first prayer. This ain't the second one or the third one. This is the first one. It could have just said, and an angel came. It didn't do that. It says, there appeared an angel unto Him from heaven. In other words, the Father said, hey, I ain't taking that cup away, but I got a little something for you. <laughs> There's sometimes God won't take the thing away, but He'll have a little something for you. There's times where He won't take away the agony, but He'll give you what you need to go through the agony. Watch, watch, watch. There appeared an angel unto, unto Him from heaven, strengthening Him and being in agony. What? After being visited and strengthened by an angel sent from heaven, you're still in agony? Yes. Because when the angel strengthened him, Jesus knew he wasn't getting out of this. The angel came to strengthen, not deliver. <clears throat> mm. I need to let that filter in your spirit, man. Yeah. When the angel showed up, did not comfort him and say, we're going to change the plans. I don't want you to have to go through that. Did not deliver him, but instead said, I don't know how he did it. I mean, I don't know if he went 99 and shot five. I don't know what he did. Put his hand on his shoulders. Put his hand on his head. Just held his hand. Kissed his hand. We don't know how he imparted that strength sent from the throne to Jesus, but he did. And when Jesus knew that he had gotten strength and he wasn't being delivered, it was over. That's why he's in agony. Do, do, do you see that? Not one hand has been laid on him. Nobody has beat him yet. Nobody's hit him with a whip yet. Nobody's put a crown of thorns on his head yet. Nobody's put a bag over his head and punched him and said, prophesy, tell us who hit you. And he's in agony? From what? Dread. You ever dreaded something so bad you tightened up? You ever dreaded something coming to your tomorrow so bad you couldn't get to sleep in your tonight? Jesus did. He gets straight, sent right from heaven, and he's still in agony. God help me to get this across. If we're not careful, if I'm not careful, there's going to be times where I can say, God ain't hearing me. I didn't do nothing to deserve to be here. I didn't do anything to belong here. I didn't do anything wrong. I haven't sinned. And God will not give me out of this mess that ain't my fault and I don't deserve. God ain't hearing me. 
Sometimes God is going to trust you enough to let you go through something you don't deserve. He had to go through something He didn't deserve so people like me and Travis could be in here in the kingdom tonight. There's going to be somebody in your lifetime that is going to need you to go through something you don't deserve. And you've got to be careful not to be so quick when the situation ain't changed to say, God ain't hearing me. He just bailed on me. It may be that God is giving you strength to go through that thing you don't deserve. And let me say this. It kind of lines up with more Scriptures, don't it? God won't put more on you than you can handle without leaving a way, a way out. What that means is He'll put all the pressure in the world on you. You feel like you're like to die. But the difference between you and God is you don't know how strong you are, but God does. So if there's something in your life that's pressing you and squeezing you and worrying you and causing you to lose some sleep and you're stressed over it every time you see their image in your head, your teeth grit. God knows how strong you are. And you'll get through it. If He don't deliver you, you'll get through it. How did Jesus feel about that? What's 44 say? He prayed more earnestly. They done got the answer. Ain't you glad, glad that Jesus was God and man? Yes. I like to see the man side of him sometimes. Here he is. He done got his answer, Travis. He done got supernatural strength to get through it. But he ain't done asking anyway. I'm going to stay right here and keep on praying. He prayed more earnestly, already knowing what his answer was. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood. You know why? Because it was blood. There's a physical condition called hemidrosis. Listen to what it is. Capillary blood vessels that feed sweat glands rupture, causing the blood to go through the sweat glands. This only occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. I got that out of a medical book. The only way it happens. You see, Jesus, he wasn't stressed about you. He was stressed about what he was going to have to do for you. But he did it anyway. He is so emotionally and physically stressed, he is sweating blood, and this is after being strengthened by an angel. What was it then, pray tell, the angel strengthened? He did not strengthen his physical body, or he could not have sweat blood. What he strengthened was Jesus' knowledge that this is the plan, there is no plan B, this is the plan. He still didn't want to do it. It ain't over. He's terrified and so stressed, he's sweating his own blood. And when he goes back to his inner three, his ride or die, his backup, he finds his backup is backed out. Back to Matthew 26 and 40. 
We're almost at the end of the story. He left the nine, took the three, to stay awake and watch for me, pray for me, goes a little further, prays, angel comes straight to him after the angel, he's so tore up, he sweats blood, he goes back to his three, and he's already knowing, man, I ain't getting out of this, I ain't getting out of this. What was he praying for then? I ain't getting out of it, but I ain't ready. I know I gotta do this, but I ain't ready yet. Don't tell me it wasn't awful. He knew from the minute he was born this day was coming, and he still ain't ready. That pretty little crucifix people wear around their neck, ain't nothing pretty about that. And he ain't still on that thing anymore anyway. No, sir. He comes to his disciples, verse 40, finds them asleep, ain't watching, ain't praying, they're sleeping. And he wakes the leader up, Peter, and he says, Why? Couldn't you watch with me one hour? Not even an hour? Jesus already knows he's going to cross for this dude, and this dude wouldn't pray for him for an hour. <clears throat> My God, Peter! You could have stood up if you was falling asleep. You could have walked back and forth. You could have said, said the Hebrew alphabet or something. All he did was ask this one thing of you, man. But see, look, it wasn't Peter's garden. You're going to have a time, I'm going to say it one more time so you hear it good. You're going to have a time with the people that have always been awake for you before. Ain't going to be awake. And it ain't going to be because they don't love you. It ain't going to be because they don't care about you. It's going to be because it ain't their garden. It's your. So don't be so quick to fire them good people that went at least as far as they did with you. Watch and pray that you enter not in temptation. The Spirit's willing, flesh is weak. He went again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass, except I drink it, thy will be done. See, now he ain't saying if there's any other way anymore. He's saying if this thing won't go except I do it, your will be done. There's going to be something only you can do sooner or later, folks. And he came and found them asleep again. It wasn't their garden. He left them, went away, and prayed a third time, saying the exact same thing. Then comes the disciples and says, I stay asleep, dude. You're good. Hours at hand, son of man betrayed, in the hands of sinners. While he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that's the one. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, Going good and well. He wasn't no friend right now. Friend, why are you come? Jesus knew good and well why he was come. And came they, laid hands on Jesus, took him, 
One of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand to his sword. That's Peter. He struck a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Peter was telling the truth and he said he died with him. These people had one sword with him and Peter grabbed it. And he's surrounded by a multitude. He knew he was going to die. He told Jesus, I'll die for you. And he backed it up. But what he didn't realize was the way he was going to have to die was different from the way he would. He wanted to die physically. God had a lot of different kinds of dying in store for him. He had to die that pride in that big mouth. Pray for him. Then said Jesus, if I don't do this, how's Nathan Wells going to get the Holy Ghost? If I don't do this, how is Lori and Travis Russell going to alter the destiny of every generation in their family line after them until Jesus comes? If I don't do this, how is Damon Rapier going to be healed and delivered from death right out of the hospital? If I don't do this, how is a two-time convict, cocaine act, alcoholic going to be changed and converted if I don't do this? Yes. Sometimes the greatest fight is when you don't fight at all. Wow. In that same hour, Jesus said, Jesus to the multitude, you come out against me like a thief with swords and staves. I was daily in your temple teaching all of y'all. You didn't get me then, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Now I'm in with this. Then all the disciples forsook mm -hmm. him and fled. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm standing there. One of the twelve just called me master, kissed me to betray me. The other eleven just swore to me a couple hours ago. We'll die for you. We ain't going nowhere. We don't care what anybody else done. We we ain't. We're here through thick and thin. And then when it got thick, every one of them thinned out. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing there and I'm watching them all run away. And I still got the power to call down with them leads of the angels. Say, you know what? Why would I do that for them? Huh. Well, I got your answer, church. Anytime you ever have to ask yourself why I would do that for them, your answer is because he did. Yes. Uh huh. Most times you will be expected to do it at least one time for them, whether they bailed on you or not. You're probably going to be expected by God at least one time because he watched all 11 of them go this way, the one with the money in his pocket stay right here, and he still let them lead him to his murder. Matthew 26 and 26. They were celebrating the Passover. Take one of those, please. Just take one of them, brother. Take one, Nate. I didn't know we had anything this bird. 
When we moved into the old Presbyterian building in Harvard, Illinois, they left us behind. Nick Damiano gave this to me when he closed the church down. I hope we're not with it yet. address two things. One, there's a lot of people that will never take communion because they're afraid they're going to die. A lot of people teach the Bible wrong. When in the book of Corinthians, when the writer said, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood, what that means is irreverent. That means that this just ain't nothing. If you treat it like it's just juice and just a little piece of bread. And then the writer said, but let everybody examine themselves. And so, let them eat of the bread and drink of that cup. So all we have to do to be eligible to take communion is to take a minute before we do anything and talk to God and repent. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for this day. I ask you to forgive my sins. Help me get closer to you. And I'm going to work on the stuff I can get better at and ask you to help me with the rest. See how easy that is? Jesus paid an awful price for people to do this. There's no way in the world he would want to have churches and preachers teaching that hardly anybody can. Matthew 26 and 26. When they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, passed it around, said, take, eat, this is my body. In another section of Scripture, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to pray, pray repentance. I'll pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. Lord, I thank you, Father. Thank you for the price you paid for me. I would have been just like those 11. I may even have been like that one. But you did it anyway. So I ask you now, Father, to forgive my sins, Lord. Help me to stand before you under the cover of the blood tonight, Jesus. Forgive me, Father, my sins. I'll work on the things I can, and I need you to help me with the rest, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now, on the bottom of the cup, just pull that seal off. There's a small piece of bread there. Now, before you eat it, Jesus said, This is my body broken for you. I want you to let it be real for a second. When they put the bag over his head, these are trained torturers, man. These dudes did this stuff for fun. When they put that bag over his head, they didn't think he could see them. He saw Jimmy Wells at the senior center. He saw Rue. 
Mel, Moana, and he let him break his body for us. So let's take that, that bread and remember what he did for us with his body. Lord, I thank you. You could have stopped it at any time and you didn't. Nobody helped you. Your friends and the power of God were silent. There's to be no deliverer on that day, Father. And I thank you, Jesus, you did it anyway. You didn't deserve it. Beaten. Scripture teaches he was unrecognizable. I've seen men beaten so bad they're unrecognizable. Their heads swell as big as a pumpkin. Before they were done with him, his body was laid open. You could see his internal organs. Could have stopped at any time. He didn't. All for you and for me. Now the next part, this is super cool. He took the cup, gave thanks, and when he did, he said, this is my blood of the new testament. New agreement between God and man. This is my blood, which is going to be shed for the remission of sins. That's awesome. Because this same Jesus after the resurrection stood on the mountain before His ascension and He said to go into Jerusalem and teach what? Remission of sins in My name. If you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, that blood that was shed covers your soul right now. So this ain't his blood. Catholics teach that somehow it turns into. We know automatically if they're teaching it, it's wrong. No, he said to do this in remembrance. He started bleeding in the garden. The first drop of blood he shed for you wasn't even on the cross. It was when he was so afraid of that cross and dreading that cross so bad. He was in such a panic and such a state of anxiety and stress. He sweat his own blood just thinking about the cross. There was a cost before the cross. And he did it anyway. So pull that tap back right there. While you're thinking about that blood He shed for you and thinking about the remission of sins, go ahead and drink it. I'm going to ask you to stand with me.
I'm going to tell you what gives me extreme pleasure in this. <clears throat> that same Jesus that tried to tell them what was going to happen to him because he needed somebody to help him. That same Jesus they couldn't get nobody to understand then has got a room full of people today that understand. So when he said to do this and remember it to me, he knew they didn't understand then, but he knew there was going to be a people one day that would. So that same Jesus is looking right down in the middle of this room in the senior center because we remember We are standing on holy ground, and I know that there are angels all around. season. It's about even more than the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Lord, it was an awful price just to get to that cross, God. It was an awful price just to get to the place where You would allow Yourself to be taken by those people, God. I thank You that You paid it. I ask You tonight, Father, to be with Your people this week, Lord. I ask You to bless them, whatever it is they're doing this weekend, Father. I pray, Lord, that while the power of the resurrection is alive in their lives, I pray also, God, that there would be a remembrance. And I pray, Lord, when the time comes that You trust them enough to put them in a path of another soul, a soul that You and they both know is just going to burn them, I pray, Lord, when they ask themselves why they should, that they would remember. Huh. I ask You to trust Your people, Father. Lord, use us, God, 
Lord, the only thing that's going to matter is eternity, Father. Lord, we're praying and we're asking You to do whatever it takes in our children's lives. Lord, there's somebody praying for their children, and that's people we work with. People that we know in the community. Their mamas might be praying too, asking You to do the same thing. And it might be me, Father. But Lord, trust us, God. Trust us. Trust us. I ask you, Lord, to give Travis the strength he needs to work these next six sets of twelves. I ask you, Lord, to be with the Wells family in Greenville, Lord. Bless them on their weekend, Lord. I ask you to bless the Damon Rapier house, Father. Bless them on this Easter weekend. I ask you to be with Mimi, Lord, and give her peace of mind over her babies, Father. I ask you, Lord, to visit our children and grandchildren, Lord. I ask you to do all these things for your glory. Everybody said in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.